Welcome to The Principled Podcast, brought to you by LRN. The Principled Podcast brings together the collective wisdom on ethics, business and compliance, transformative stories of leadership, and inspiring workplace culture. Listen in to discover valuable strategies from our community of business leaders and workplace changemakers. Hello and welcome to season four of LRN's Principled Podcast. My name is Ben DiPietro. I'm the editor of LRN's ENC Pulse newsletter. I uh, implore you to please find it, subscribe, and read it and share with a friend. With me today is uh, one of my good friends, Allison Taylor, the executive director at Ethical Systems, a research collaboration on ethical culture that's housed in New York University's Stern School of Business. Previously, Allison led BSR's sustainability practice, oversaw the supply chain practice, and ran BSR's Sustainable Futures Lab. She focuses on approaches to sustainability through risk management, strategy, stakeholder engagement, transparency, ethics and governance, and organizational change. And we're very glad to have her with us today. Hello, Allison. Hey, Ben. It's really nice to see you online. Yes, it's. Uh, we've been catching up a little bit, and um, we will uh, talk about all things COVID and whatnot, but Let's uh, start at the beginning. How did you become interested in risk, ethics, culture, ESG, and what drew you to this work? In my 20s, I studied international relations and then worked in political risk and market entry. And I became very interested in how big multinationals behave, especially in emerging markets. I worked in the Middle East and Africa. And so business ethics in contexts where the legal system is not very robust was my initial interest. Then I worked in corporate investigations for 12 years for a a company called Control Risks. So I became very familiar with the ethics and compliance side of the house. And then in 2015, I moved to a sustainability nonprofit called BSR. And it was kind of an Alice through the looking glass moment when suddenly I realized there was a complete alternative frame and department and way of thinking about ethical business that was more focused on social and environmental responsibility. And I became really interested in where ethics and compliance and sustainability connect and align and where they talk past each other and what all these slightly different understandings of corporate ethics meant for how organizations can behave better and be more ethical in future. So I guess in summary, my my strength is that I've worked across different fields. And so I've got a breadth and interest in, in where concepts might be missing or, or need to be more tightly connected for a more effective future of business ethics. And you recently came aboard as Executive Director at Ethical Systems. What prompted that move and what are your goals for the program there? So Ethical Systems was founded in 2014 by Jonathan Haidt, who is a a prominent author, public intellectual, and is uh, a professor at Stern. The focus is on really trying to make business ethics a cumulative science. So there is a ton of amazing research from business ethics professors and the behavioral ethics, behavioral economics, social psychology fields. 
that would be incredibly helpful to corporations wanting to build more ethical and effective cultures. But the vast majority of that research has been conducted in the lab, not in real companies, and a lot of it stays in academia. So ethical systems is all about trying to bring the best ideas from academia into the corporate environment and to work with companies that want to experiment and conduct academically rigorous research into solving their culture problems. And the reason I think they should be doing this right now is that a lot of the organizational culture and ethics problems facing companies today are really unprecedented. So it's not so easy to do benchmarking and look at what your peers are doing and then just copy that. We would argue that you really need to experiment. We really need to come up with something bigger and better and that academics have many ideas that could be applied and used by companies with the right mindset and creativity. So obviously you came in, you had a plan for what you wanted to do, and I'm guessing your plan didn't include COVID. So what impact is that having on how you're trying to get things done and how, is it slowing things down? Just what's the, how have you been living through that and still trying to get your feet on the ground and get things moving there? It's interesting because, of course, COVID is, as well as a, a public health, it's a giant economic and financial crisis. And so, of course, many companies are in a kind of contingency planning emergency mode and not wanting to uh, make decisions. But actually, in another sense, COVID elevates and escalates the organizational culture challenges we're already working on and presents some new ones. A very obvious example would be the shift to remote work. If you are lucky um, and not an essential worker, you have been working from home for the past few weeks. But of course, remote work has a profound effect on how teams work together, how leaders need to communicate, how you can build collaboration, and then just things like kind of motivation and time management. And so even though COVID has certainly thrown some of the companies we're working with into more of a disaster response mode, there are a number of other companies that really need our help with how they shape leadership and culture in this very, very new environment. What will be some of the biggest changes to come to how business is conducted then because of COVID? You mentioned economic impacts. There's obviously going to be a change to how we work. One thing seems to be coming up again, and you were into this even before COVID hit, was issues of wellness and mental health and how business is kind of being looked at as the place where whether they like it or not, they're joining the health system as part of having to deal with all that stuff. And so I'm just curious how you see it playing out or what you think some of the big impacts will be. Yeah, so I think the mental health is is definitely a big one, and I would start there. So this is not a purely COVID-related issue. There are quite worrying statistics about young people. So Gen Z, that's the under-25s, have much higher rates of uh, depression and anxiety than older generations, particularly women. And so as these employees start to enter the workforce, there's already a bit of an imperative to think a little bit more about mental health and well-being and so on. And you've started to see some early moves from some companies in this direction. For example, Starbucks has launched a program to offer its employees uh, counseling and mental health support. 
And then, of course, we've got COVID on top of this. This is well known to be driving a lot of very negative mental health impacts. And so I wouldn't be super surprised if we come out of this with companies, as as you mentioned in your question, having taken on more responsibility for employees' mental health. We can make an argument that this kind of sense of care and nurturing over employees is, is a good thing. But I think we also need to be quite cautious about the degree to which our employers are increasingly moving into our personal lives and our personal space. There's been a very big conversation over the last decade about how you need to bring your whole self to work and your whole personality. And this is really a a conversation around diversity and inclusion But I think we need to be very careful that if we take all of this too far, we end up with employees that are always online, feel like they don't get any downtime, feel like they have to be monitored and responded and tracked. And then that, rather than being good for employers, it creates this situation where employers are increasingly being expected to be responsible for employees' mental health. And so rights go with responsibilities. And I'm a little bit concerned about how far our working lives and our personal lives are overlapping. And the biggest area of of concern I see here is not so much the mental health support, but the growth of surveillance systems to track what we're doing. And so Ideally, the move to remote work would prompt a shift in thinking around ethical leadership and how you build culture and being more intentional about things like communication. What I worry is, is is that there are a lot of bad managers in the world and that it is a lot easier rather than exploring different ways to manage and motivate and communicate with your team. It's much easier to set up tracking systems to make sure they're at their computer or monitor their mood or monitor the, the wording they're using in emails. So I think the intersection of privacy and mental health and remote work is something certainly to keep a very, very close eye on. And there are potentially some really big human rights concerns emerging here. Yes, for sure. And I would see that as, you know, this is a test of a company's culture and that how they respond to these things is an indication of how they look at people and look at their organization. Are they seeking buy-in or are they not? And they're just trying to, you know, operate at a profit. We'll show your, your moral colors for sure. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's very challenging for people in the compliance and ethics world, I think, because all these technologies come online, because, of course, compliance and ethics officers are trying to prove that they have good compliance programs in place and to um, make sure that they're keeping regulators happy. So once these tracking systems and softwares and so on exist, I think there's quite a strong imperative to feel that you kind of have to use them because everybody else is using them. But in fact, there is a ton of evidence showing that surveillance doesn't actually increase culture or even increase performance and that employees really need a sense of autonomy and agency in order to feel motivated. So I'm really concerned that these tracking systems will have really problematic unintended consequences for the long term of organizational cultures yeah and you're gonna have a real hard time saying you're you know a trusting organization if you're employing these on your employees and capturing every keystroke or 
whatever else anything AI or any of the new technologies will be able to discern from us, uh, whatever way they do it. Absolutely. I do not want to wear a headset tracking my mood and tracking how well I'm, I'm concentrating, even though that might be good for me. I don't <laughs> I want it to happen. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. So will this pandemic lead more organizations to devote more effort to being good corporate citizens, or is it going to create an everyone-for-themselves climate where ethics are seen as less important and surviving and having a job and you know keeping people employed is going to be the imperative and that's going to supersede all this? And how is that world going to impact ESG, climate activism, investment? And are regulators going to press ahead with all this or slack off? as a result of the virus and give companies a chance to dig out and, and respect, maybe get themselves in deeper water by getting in trouble. It's a really kind of it's a billion or possibly a trillion dollar question is what will happen to the responsible business and ESG debate as a result of COVID. If you read the media, there are really kind of two positions emerging. One is that this will be a big accelerator for ESG investor interest. Obviously, this is a big systemic sustainability crisis that we're in the middle of. A a public health issue is absolutely one of those. Climate change and the impacts of that is another very big systemic risk that we're facing. And then advocates for ESG are also pointing out that ESG indexes and companies that do very well on ESG ratings are doing very well during this pandemic. And so really saying that this is making the case for ESG. And so there's a whole school of thought that things have to change. We're really seeing the business case for sustainability in action. And this is all going to kind of usher in a whole new era of more responsible business, really picking up on that business roundtable statement that we are shifting to stakeholder capitalism. On the other side, you've got the skeptics who are saying, are you kidding? This is the last time we can we we want to be focusing on voluntary feel-good initiatives like ESG. We need to prioritize existential survival and the bottom line, and these things are frivolous. And so we're really going to see a, a collapse in, in interest in, in sustainable business um, and ESG investing. So I think probably the answer is that both of these things can be true. What you can maybe see emerging, I think, is is a real split between corporates that are trying at least their best and understanding we're in a, a situation of great uncertainty, but are trying to think long term. They are trying to make as few employees redundant or furlough them as possible. They are trying to prioritize employer retention over executive pay or dividends or share buybacks. They're trying to keep their suppliers afloat. They're really making the calculation that the reputational upside of doing all these things over the long term will be really good for them, as opposed to companies that are really just trying to cling on and think in a very short-term way and are cutting costs where possible. So I think maybe what you will see is a little bit more of a a clear split between companies that think long-term and are more ESG-friendly and those that don't. And if you uh, read the news and see all these kind of saints and sinners lists, then there's some evidence for that. But I hesitate to say that we're going to emerge into a brave new world or emerge into a disaster because I think both things can be true at the same time. 
Let's end here, Allison. Your husband, Peter Christian Hall, in 2012, wrote a book called American Fever, a tale of romance and pestilence about a virus that runs rampant through New York City. Much of what he wrote as it pertains to how people are responding has turned out to be very accurate as we experience COVID-19 here in 2020. How has this book affected the way you're, you're both living? I know you, you know, have a place upstate and so you were able to uh, get out of the city. And what does he expect to see happening as he was so prescient in this book going forward based on what's happening now? I met my husband because of this novel. I met him in 2011 and then the book came out. I read it when I barely knew him and I had only just moved to New York at that time. And the novel's hero, who is a slightly clueless libertarian, he kind of sells masks and, and PPE online and he gets trapped in New York. He, he has a cabin um, in the Catskills, but he tries and, and fails to get out of the city. At one point, they, they close the GW Bridge and he tries to drive up through the Bronx and he gets robbed and, and kind of ends up stuck in the city. And so I guess between reading this book and then Hurricane Sandy, which was later the same year, I was new to New York at that time. I kind of developed the view that New York is a little bit disaster prone, though I should add always recovers and comes back better. And so if you can get over the GW Bridge, um, you're all okay. So after we got married, I don't think either of us necessarily expected the pandemic to to be reality. But one of the things we did after we got married was to um, move to the Catskills and, and buy this house. And so we've turned out to be very, very prepared. I guess there's a there's a compliance lesson in here, which is if the if you imagine the worst and you prepare for it for kind of resilient exercise through resilience exercises, you will be better set up when that disaster strikes. So uh, maybe it's a crisis management or crisis preparation argument. Peter has been studying viruses for years and the novel also explores a lot of the other consequences of pandemics, the social, the public health consequences. He, he anticipated a lot of um, kind of sceptical protests that we're seeing. He anticipated the growth of surveillance. He anticipated a lot of public unrest. I think... Um, Plenty of interviews you can listen to of him online. But I think he would say that everybody needs to prepare for the long haul. There is a lot of uncertainty and we all need to look after each other and our communities. With that, I want to thank you very much for taking some time today. That was really interesting. I'm glad we had a chance to connect again and look forward to seeing you in the future. Thanks so much, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure to chat. Yes, stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this episode. The Principled Podcast is brought to you by LRN. At LRN, our mission is to inspire principled performance in global organizations by helping them foster winning ethical cultures rooted in sustainable values. Please visit us at LRN.com to learn more. And if you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to leave us a review.